Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cardew. And uh, today we're talking to a German act that's that's done a bit of everything, really. Um, dub, ambient, guitars, uh, producing their own instruments. They are? Mouse on Mars, Jan St. Werner and Andy Thoma. And we started off by asking them uh, about their recent 12-inch. To jump right in, you guys... Uh you just put out the Lister 10-inch, and I saw that you recently played a, a launch performance for that. How, how did that show go? One was an installation. It was more like, a, yeah, like an installation piece where we very like, subtly and actually not very visibly did some things, but it's mostly the installation situation that makes the performance, which is these trigger robots and, um, yeah, and a few sequences. It's, it's, it's kind of an abstract set. Actually, Lichter is kind of, at the moment, it's two parts. One part is the version they were released on, a, on the Infinite Grayscale 10-inch, and the other, version, and the other part is a, a rather abstract introduction into the rhythmic piece, and that also became an ensemble piece, which we premiered um, actually six, six weeks ago in Cologne with Ensemble Musikfabrik, like it's a new music ensemble, and... It, that, that was wonderful. There was um, a night at the WDR Sendesal, like their, their broadcast <clears throat> like performance venue. It's beautiful. It's all wood. It's like from the 50s, 60s. Super nice space. It's where Stockhausen premiered his pieces with the rotating speakers and first like speaker concerts took place there. So with Musikfabrik, we ran a full night that we could curate. So we had pieces from Xenarchis and Luc Ferrari and Stockhausen and <clears throat> Parmigiani and each one we try to perform in its own way or in a different way, in, in a special way. And that kind of led to the Lichter, to that Lichter introduction, which is called the Umbris Idearum. It's, it's a title which we grabbed from Giordano Bruno. It's basically on the shadows of, of, on the shadows of ideas. So it's about an acousmatic idea of like, what, what is, what is it that you hear? What is behind the, the object that you imagine that makes that sound or the situation that makes that sound. And it's so, completely performed in the dark. I mean, this or or orchestra piece, yeah. So actually not, not so much. So, so space for shadows in your thoughts. And does that introductory piece, is that also utilizing the, the sonic robots that you used in the, in the piece that was released on 10-inch? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, I mean, maybe this would be a, a good opportunity to to talk a little bit about the the robotics because it seems like you guys have been doing that for a while. What I mean, could you explain sort of how how they work, how how you compose for robots, how how the whole process goes? Composing for robots is difficult, my friend. Uh, yeah. I do what now. Actually, it's it's like it's triggers which kind of uh, um, trigger acoustically drums or like like uh, elements which would make sound. So basically, we work with some drum elements, but but mainly with plates, with metal plates, because they resonate, and we 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 not just want to to have like um, uh, rhythmic structure, also kind of harmonic structure through uh, beating in a, a material like pretty fast, so that it resonates and it's kind of industrial sounding. And um, actually, we 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 yeah you know, we started for this uh, piece with Tayonda Braxton years ago, and so we we met. Um, and that's that's how we met uh, Moritz and Simon Geist. Yeah, but now we try to develop it, it a little bit more, and um, 
we're still discovering how we how we aesthetically work with these elements. For the Lichter record, we had um, this performance in a, in a gallery, which was kind of a small room, and the people were kind of close to these robotic elements, and uh, yeah, this kind of uh, was uh, very persönlich, um, was like personal experience for us and the audience. It's kind of funny because on the one hand, you're working with robots and these big very large-scale, physical, ungainly things. And then on the other hand, with Mouse on Mars Instruments, you're working with iOS and with the iPad and the iPhone, not just virtual instruments or software instruments, but but on like a very small scale in some ways. I, I wanted to ask you about your work with MOM Instruments. I mean, what drew you to that sphere in the first place, to designing your own software instruments? For us, it's not a big deal to do these Kind of disparate workshops because it's it's basically it's, it's all like your brain i mean it's all it's all in here and it's it's it starts here it goes back there whatever you initiate and whatever rumble you create and whatever theater wagner-esque mise-en-scene you 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 put out there it's just like if the brain cannot deal with it it's, it stays small and if your brain's triggered and your brain's firing and adding to it like very small things can create like amazing experiences and this is this is where it happens let's say the brain the brain part the cognitive play that is interesting and this is also what what makes us be at ease with like doing things for an iphone or an ipad which is kind of cheesy i mean it's really it's kind of ridiculous to make music on an iphone it's it's everything about it is kind of uncool and this is why we also like it because like all these elements you can immediately like wipe them off the table. You just have that phone and you have it on you all the time. Why not have something on there that's fun to use and makes sense? And this is how we started with RedShop, the first app that we made. We we just wanted to have it. And at that time when we started doing this, there was this um, sound environment called RJDJ. And they had, um, you could make patches for them. So what they would do is like feed the, through the microphone input, feed real world sounds and put delays on them and create this weird like sound environments, which you would listen to with your mobile phone microphone open, basically. And so, um, so that was basically, that was, that was done with PD. So, um, so we got the code and then fiddled with that and a friend of ours, um, who's, who's a good PD programmer, he kind of tweaked it and made it more and more precise. So in the end, it couldn't, it didn't work on RJDJ anymore. And then they also stopped the platform because after they had this huge, huge success with, um, it was this Leonardo DiCaprio, like um, the movie Inception. Yeah, that was the end of RJDJ actually, because they had programmed a promo tool for that film and they made so much money more than they could ever make uh, with RJDJ. Basically, they stopped developing that and got into this kind of Hollywood-type wow. merchandise. So we were actually forced because we liked what we had and we wanted to push it further. So we were kind of left alone and didn't have a platform anymore. So we started this crowdfunding um, thing just like out of a, of a... It was just that momentum that we didn't want to let go, that we didn't want to have someone control the platform, basically, that were, that had provided with something so so cool and useful. And so, yes, yeah, so we started the crowdfunding campaign and said, look... At the moment, we only it's only us who can use it, but everyone could have it. It would be on the iTunes store, and if you help us coding it. Um, and then Peter Kern, actually, from Create Digital Music, he did the coding for Bradshop. So um, it took longer than we than expected. That's another thing. It is 
quite complex to do stuff on iOS um, and, and nerve-wracking. But then we had it, and this was the first MOM instrument thing that we had done. And along the lines of that thing, we had actually, at an earlier stage, had um, been asked by this company, uh, Vacom, Wacom, who have these drawing tablets. So everyone who does graphic design work, they have like this pen and tablet and use Vacom product. And they had approached us asking, asking us, do you guys think it could be useful for music making somehow? We were interested in this idea of like musical sound, like uh, um, visual sound or like the whole tradition of like, with, I don't know, Xenarchic system and like lots of things or more in, like what medicine does in modern times or um, synesthesia or like Sri I've been with like the color organ. I mean, this like this is like there's so many interesting ideas of like where sound and visual meets and we were like yeah definitely you can think that way and create something on that side and in the end maybe it matches even nicely like maybe it's not even that far apart the visual and the acoustic so we had um, a budget to do research for about a year and the very same guy Florian Grote who's now with Native Instruments who had developed the PD thing for RedShop he had a year of developing a device that would work on the vacuum pad that you would draw sound with and the way you would like sequence and stretch sounds and all these kind of things. Then that was what we've been working on. And then in the end, um, we didn't get a terms with Vacom and we kept our, our idea, our initial concept. It was ours. And then the iPad came out. When we had started working with this Vacom thing, there wasn't an iPad even. And then suddenly the iPad came out and we were like, okay, is could we just maybe have a finger instead of a pen? Does it make sense? And then it turned into something new. And again, we started a whole new research, uh, basically all funded by our own time and money or patience. And and finally, we got we found Jan Twitchler, who had been working on a similar concept called Gliss. And we asked him if he would want to take over Fluxpad, like finish the concept for Fluxpad, finish the programming, which he agreed on. It took another three years. So basically, along the lines of all that, suddenly we had the Fluxpad idea on the iPad, which had not initially started as an idea for an iOS platform, but turned into one once the technology was available and the iPads were fast enough, it was possible for them to process samples fast enough and all that. And so so this is why we started Mom Instruments. We have these different things coming from different angles, and now we have this platform and this label. So I think we'll continue working on these things. And, and and now you can see that like a younger generation, like like our kids, I think we all we all do have kids who work with this with these things, with these devices. For them a laptop or a computer is ridiculous. They they, they just they will only work with touchpads somehow. I was uh, I downloaded Fluxpad today and I was playing with it for a little bit. Um, actually with my, my daughter who's just fifteen months old, so she's obviously too little to, to do anything, but you know, she was whenever I have the iPad out, she's touching it and, and getting her fingers on it and so she was she was like you know drawing in lines into Fluxpad and, and they were playing back and I think I, she seemed to in, enjoy that. You think she got the connection? I really I don't know to be honest I mean but you know there, she was hitting it and then sounds were coming out um, I, I don't oh. know to what extent she understands the, the linkage there but it made me wonder sort of is there a guiding philosophy in terms of your instrument design in terms of creativity or creative possibility, like what kind of what kind of music making are you trying to enable? Sort of how how are the instruments a reflection of your own aesthetic practices? I just in brackets, I got back 
to your question, but um, we just had this week with like these at Funkhouse with all these bands that actually we didn't really know before we heard the name or you saw the name on a poster, but no idea what these people, what kind of music they make. And they were all so into Fluxpad that they actually bought iPads to download Fluxpad. Wow. And especially, yeah, it was really, it was quite a thing for us. Like, whoa, is that good? Or is it like, do we turn, like, do do we evoke evil here? Or is it, I mean, we took it, actually, we were actually quite flattered. Um, and and Justin, the, the guy from Bon Iver, he really loves Fluxpad. And he did really crazy stuff with it, like things we wouldn't, we would not do with it. And it was really, it was really nice to see how he's using it and, and yeah, what he did with it. You release a record and you know it's it's out there in the eternal archives but then how do you deal with yourself as as a as a as a figure as a as an identity within that game and we we never really thought so much about that who we wanted to be as pop stars or producers or like i don't know as a band even like do we want to be a band or i mean are we who are we <laughs> as artists and 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 of course you have like the stereotype is like the craftwork robots or it's like um the kind of i don't know this particular picture or you know that particular icon or like the rolling stones like tongue type thing or you have this we never wanted a logo most of us never had a logo and i mean fx twin is a logo it's cool it's like this boomerang type whatever thing so it, it kind of, it's a, it's a thing to have that it it does a lot like to your it creates a space also for you, um, but we we never felt comfortable with it. But now we feel like this idea of of translating or transcending in a way this idea of how we think music into the three arm of other people using tools that we've invented or we we comes from like our thought world in a certain way also teaching. But teaching is something that you have to do while you're alive. I mean that definitely ends after your death. But these apps or this way of thinking that's just out there. And people reinterpret it in different ways. And this is an idea of also of anarchy and growth, you know, like something people can do something with that. And th th we really like this. So in a way, like Fluxpad or Elastic Drums or Retchup, there's a, a signature to it, which I think connects a lot to the aesthetics that we have in our music. But at the same time, everyone can do something totally different with it. And it's 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 a nice way of like passing things on as well. Just wanted to ask, have you heard much music that people have made um, with your instruments? And has it really sort of inspired you? We haven't heard too much because the label's pretty new. People use Red Shop in, I don't know, whatever context, but they don't send it to us. With Elastic Drums, it's different. There's like a SoundCloud and, and we get to hear what people do just by them giving us presets, which again are part of an update of the app. And same for Fluxpad, where we've just compiled a compilation uh, with friends who made tracks with Fluxpad. And so with the next update, you'll, you'll get like their kits, um, their sound kits and their tracks. And then you basically, it's kind of a, a different idea of like stems or, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a, a different idea of a remix format because you have their track in Fluxpad and you have their sound banks but then you can replace sounds or you can play them differently. So you can actually mess up someone's track. Um, so yes, we, we hear what people do and they, they, they give it back to us and we'll release this kind of SoundCloud compilation, whatever. 
by just people using using Fluxpad. And as I said, it was like to see what like how um, Justin from Bonivere how he used it. It was it was super exciting. It was it was really amazing. You felt like wow, it's it's really useful. This this idea, like someone can do something with it. No, he's using it actually in a in a, in a very musical way, in a very abstract way. We had several um, kind of collaboration situations. One with with Mariana Desquads, where we played together, and he kind of joined in. And then Boys Noise set also was taken over somehow, so he was in there. But he played the OP1, the um, the teenage yes, the teenage engineering guys um, synth. He played that. The Fluxpad he played in our set in the Lichter version that we played. We had this. We had a Lichter version, which was basically an insane extension again of the part and the 10 inch part where also he started the whole thing with Fluxpad and Red Sharp. It's on, um, we streamed it on Mouse Master's Facebook site. You can see the whole performance, like the whole thing. And yeah, so it's not, he didn't use it um, very, like very metronomic. He, he used it quite open actually. So as far as Mouse on Mars, um, the, the band or the act or the composers or, or whatever hat you're wearing this week, it's been a couple of years since your last record, the 21. Again, um, are you working on, is there a new album in the works? Are you continuing work um, on the the Lichter series? What's what's next for you guys in terms of studio material? Yeah, we want to continue on the Lichter thing. And we will we'll also continue working with Musikfabrik and develop the let's say the ensemble installation part further and it's different things i mean it's usually the way we work we have very scattered different ideas and then they have different speeds it's kind of a multi-track thing and then eventually you figure that one thing will become the melody the leading idea within that track that's full of like full of ideas and full of different single tracks at the moment we're like having single tracks and then we kind of bounce them together and we see which way things go sometimes it turns out that this is becoming like three different songs and sometimes just things fall off the wagon and it concentrates towards one direction but the lichter um saga is definitely one what, what we're pushing for forward now there's an, an another thing that we've also started working on which we're pretty far is a, kind of another 12 inch that we'll do with monkey town yeah we have a couple of songs but now we concentrate on three which we actually added together with shy on gernot the mode selector guys we added them together with them so it becomes like a very clubby um 12 inch one's a collaboration with sepal cure which is machine drum and um Praveen. Yeah, the Sepa Q and the others is a uh, featuring with Jesse Lanza. And then the third one is a Mouse Masi thing, but Mode Selector really kind of creep in that track at the moment. And they, <coughs> they feel it can be a floor filler. I don't know, whatever. It would be great, no? One. <laughs> Once in our lifetime. So open, we're open to that. Um, so that would be a 12 inch. And that should come out actually in, uh, around spring. And the yeah, the other thing will be more like an album, album type thing. Um, we'll see how that goes. That um, we should do that like next year. We should have finished that. We always take a long time actually to finish records. I, I feel it's, like throughout your career, you've kind of moved in and out of sort of. I mean, you you said it yourself. You have you know different modes and different projects, and there have been moments when you've been more sort of not a obviously not a pop band, but there have been moments with with vocals and with sort of song structures do you feel like right now you're at the kind of the opposite end of the pendulum swing from your sort of pop um uh, incarnation it always goes goes back and forth we are not like we don't divide it so much 
for us, it's like everything is possible, and maybe it's just in a, in a, in a certain mood. Mood we 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 start to work with a kind of pop elements because pop is not something we we don't like to work with. But like the abstract stuff is is a little bit more interesting for us in the moment because there's so much going on. So we have the tension to intention to to work more like in like in sound sculptures, like more abstract stuff stuff you you really can listen to and not like always find structures you you, you can say like ah yeah this is this kind of aesthetic or um, style something I mean, everything can become pop at some point it's, it can be very like the that's at least how we understand pop or what we find interesting about it is it can be very surprising things suddenly there's a little thing about it it kind of like the time it's just right, right there at the right moment and then a thing about it gets zoomed up and becomes like very big and very powerful and it hasn't even been written for that purpose. I mean, like the most interesting, I think, ideas in pop music, if it's not like super designed music for a specific audience, but the, the good moments have always been kind of accidental as well. Or like there were even pop songs that became pop songs much later than, than when they were written. In a way, we're totally not interested in pop music at the same time we're we're totally open to things happen in in that in that context but but at the end of the day i think the way we hear things like last night we we had dinner and we just played like songs that randomly come from the ipod and there was the, the girl from ipanema you know like the, i mean it's such a cheesy classic song and i mean i was just i was so taken away by the sound of that thing it sounded amazing. It sounded like my bloody Valentine. Like, I mean, not distorted, but it had that draw, you know, it drew you in like a kind of a thick, like an opium, like an opiate. <laughs> and and it kind of runs through your veins and you don't understand what's going on. And then you, at some point you realize, it's just the girl from Ipanema. It's just one of the most cheesy songs ever written, but it took over. And I think for both of us, it's, it's, it's really the sound of like how, how you create a situation where things can come together and it can be it can be Xenarchis or it can be Gottfried Michael König and like a completely stochastic like permutation of like a, a number code and it, and the sound is purely ring modulated and gritty and it's just has a has this moment of magic where it's perfect and it's like the most perfect idea a human being had translated into sound and 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 you just mesmerized, and it can happen with a girl from Ipanema likewise. You you you, can't, you just can't predict it. And I'm I'm always actually I, I admire people who know exactly what kind of music they want to listen to, and they only stick to this, and they they only listen to this specific thing, like only new music or only hip hop. I, I think it, it's less and less the case, I guess, these days. But I'm kind of I'm really um, yeah, in a way, I'm really fascinated by people who can do that. But I have to say that like this last weekend um, or this last week where, where all these bands came to Funkhaus and bands from different backgrounds and it was a very musical gathering and um, it's actually the worst thing you could imagine. Like all these musicians jamming together and having like a, a really good time and it's all like all so musical. But there was a, a crazy magic. <laughs> Things worked out so well together and there was no prejudice and there was no like more successful less successful instrumentalist songwriter performer or producer it all worked 
really well together and that made me realize that music is a pretty amazing platform for people to express their their way of thinking or their way of approaching the world it's kind of like a reconstruction of the world in the best possible way for us human beings to happen yeah i think this is this is how we deal with it so who knows if a million people agree on like specific three minutes you've written at a specific moment in time it's not on you to decide that and if that never happens you shouldn't be blamed for that I think on this utopian note, that's a good note to go out on, no? Well, thank you guys both so much for talking to us today. This has been great. So uh, it's time for some recommendations. Um, Ben, it looks like we're going to go from Mouse on Mars to Mouse Cheese. Is that correct? We're going to go to cheese, certainly. Um, and not cheese in the sort of cliched musical way. Um, anything but, in fact. But um, a track I've been listening to loads recently, probably no surprise to anyone who's ever listened to this podcast, is the new one from uh, Pepe Braddock. I didn't know you were a Pepe Braddock fan. I've only mentioned it about <laughs> a thousand times already. Um, but he's got a new uh, 12-inch out right now um and he's called baby craddock is the 12 inch or apparently that's his new name he's given up on peppy braddock he's calling himself baby craddock i know not why so this is sort of a diddy kind of move like puff daddy puffy diddy i think so yeah um and uh there's six tracks on it and even by his own standards i think it's an absolutely brilliant release uh it's probably his best in years i would say and you know, that's coming up against some other really good music. The track I want to talk about, though, and here's the cheese connection, is called saint Maur. sorry for the French accent, which uh, I was looking up and um, is a region that's known for its cheese in France. Um, I don't quite know what the connection to Pepe Braddock might be, but there we go. And it sounds a lot to me like Tomita, the uh, ah. recently ish departed uh tomita um tomita was pretty cheesy well exactly (laughs) in a beautiful way rest in peace tomita (laughs) Uh, but i've got a mix that pepe braddock did for roof.fm in 2013 and it's a mixture of music for home listening you know it's not dance floor music and um Tomita's Claire de Lune is in there, and it sounds absolutely lovely among um, his other selections. Pure melody. So he was obviously um, a big fan. And this track, San Mao, sounds like it could be his his tribute, because it's really melodic. It's got that sort of sparkling, um, angelic melody of the best of Tomita. But combined with Pepe Braddock's uh, ear for weirdness so it's like um, a beautiful melody ambient piece uh, with lots of weird bits going on which is uh, a combination I really really like let's take a listen to um, I'll let Ben's pronunciation suffice uh, Sam Mao there we go
And so, Philip, your recommendation is? Uh, it's it's actually a, a song that you sent me. Um, it's by Powell, who who I just finished reviewing his uh, his debut album uh, for Pitchfork, which is a, a really weird and and I think very fun album. Um, it took me a minute to to kind of come around to it, but but I ended up really getting into it. Um, this song is not on the album. Uh, it's called Underground Rock and Roll. I guess it's been floating around for a while. You you showed me a video that he did for it. Um, but my understanding is he sent it to you in sort of a zip file of unreleased songs that he sent around? Yeah, this is something we talked briefly about last time, that he did this um, promotional move, I guess, where he put his email on a billboard, and, and I emailed him. And we had a bit of a uh, Did you see the billboard? No, I saw various news stories. I think it was one billboard in New York, one in London. And I thought, well, sounds quite interesting. So I emailed him. We chatted about um, books. And um, he, after about three emails or something, he said, look, here's this zip file of music that won't be released. And I thought, great. There were, I mean, it's called Spares. That's what the zip file was called anyway. Uh, There are eight tracks in it. And uh, there was New Jacket, which Mm -hmm. we mentioned last time. And, um, yeah, one of them was Underground Rock and Roll, um, which he did this video for, as you mentioned. It's a really good video, actually. Uh, do you know University Challenge? Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I don't think any Americans know University Challenge, perhaps, but... It, it's a sort of British TV program that's been around forever, and your different universities go up and, um, you Jeopardy know... Jeopardy kind of thing, sort of? Yeah, kind of. And um, last year... Uh, there was someone called Oscar Powell on it, which is obviously his name, and he made this this really quite amusing video, um, which was soundtracked by Underground Rock and Roll. And he said at the time that he might release it, he might not. And eventually he did, but only on a very limited 12-inch um, that was released, I think, for people on his American tour this year. And it said cost like $20 or something. I think it was $30. So, yeah. <laughs> but worth it. And in any case, the the song is out there, and I mean, it's part of a zip file. I mean, if you if you email Powell, he'll probably just send it to you anyway. Well, I've been interested. I, I, obviously, I wanted to know how many people um, have received this zip file because um, I asked about it on Twitter. I asked, you know, because I wanted to see what other people thought, and uh, no one responded to me. So, huh? That's interesting. I'd like to know. I mean, there, the publicist for XL told me a little bit about the press campaign that he was kind of responding to people one-on-one. Um, I guess he was sending out... Did you get the list of rules for interviewing Powell? I didn't. That was actually one of the things I really wanted to get. That was the the reason I wrote to him in the first place. I thought it'd be quite funny. But I didn't get that. I got a picture of him looking a bit frazzled. That was quite good. And I got a, <laughs> a, a gif of the Powell logo swimming. And then I got this... Um, is it fine? Did did we discuss the list of inter- of rules for interviewing Powell and when we talked about him last time? We did not know because it's pretty great because it's based on um, the list of rules for interviewing Will I Am, which is apparently for for journalists who get interview time with Will I Am, they are sent a list of rules and it's something like a list of rules for maximizing your time with Will I Am, and it's really condescending and it's really it's like first of all. You have been granted access uh, for you and yourself only. No friends, family members, co-workers. Blah, As blah, if blah, you'd blah. want to. Exactly. I'm not going to drag my <laughs> poor wife along to Will I Am. And then, and it's just, it's like Will I Am probably has no idea who you are or 
what publication you're writing for. Please explain simply what it, I don't know. It's just, it's very condescending. And so the Powell list of rules is, is an obvious riff on that. And some of it's almost kind of verbatim, but then it's also weird things like, I mean, some of them are very funny. Some of them are like, please come up with, um, original ways of talking about his music. Please do not say grayscale, industrial textures, blah, 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 blah. And actually I was, I reread that as I was working on my review and I realized that I had used the word grayscale in my review and I quickly went back and I deleted it. Um, because Lord knows I wouldn't want to incur the wrath of Powell. So, and then there was something else in there about like, um, be sure you ask him what he thinks about sharks or tell him you like sharks. I mean, these just weird non sequiturs. Anyway, I, I liked it. I've, I've really in writing the review and spending a lot of time listening to his music. I've really, I like his whole project. I like, like, I think on the one hand, he's, he's got this kind of provocateur thing going on. He's kind of a bad boy, uh, not a bad boy, but I mean, he's like, uh, I mean, you know, the video of people like smashing watermelons open with their heads, it's very sort of, I think I used the word knuckle dragging in my, in my review, you know, it's kind of loudish and laddish and, and at the same time, he's very sort of thoughtful and, you know, he has reasons for doing everything the way he's doing. And he's also very, he's kind of a plain speaker, you know, it's like, email me and I'll email you back. And I think the fact that you, you said that you guys had an exchange of like three or four emails sort of testifies to that. It's not, it's not just a stunt, you know? One thing I found out about him, there was an interview with him in the Guardian um, last weekend, I mm. think. Um, he used to work at advertising. I which thought I that was very know. interesting. Um, yeah, because it, it sort of gives a new light, I think, on this, what is a pretty clever campaign quite a refreshing campaign you know doing this this um email exchange for example so anyway so underground uh, underground rock and roll I, I just i i i thought it was a fantastic song it's it's i think it's easily as good as anything on the album i'm not quite sure why it didn't go on the album but it really summed up to me what i love about what he's doing with this kind of punk or post-punk um aesthetics and I know he says in his press release don't call it no wave techno which I think is is funny I mean everybody has called it no wave techno and I can understand wanting to to get out from under that at the same time dude you're sampling no wave I mean that you know you have Wharton tears in a song title you know we're going to call it no wave techno um and and this song in particular I just thought did a really nice job of using the textures and the timbres of kind of early 80s like electric bass and, and the specific kind of room tone of those recordings and turning it into something very lumpy and weird and chaotic and, and Powell. At the same time, it is quite rock and roll. Like the drums on it could almost be from a rock song. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of his... I, I get a real almost kind of rockabilly vibe from a lot of his... Um, a lot of his rhythms, they've got this kind of like... I mean, do you think um, that it would have fit onto the album, Underground Rock and Roll? I mean, does it have a sort of similar feel, the rest of the album? Or, um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the album is, is diverse enough that it, it certainly could have fit in there somewhere. Maybe the album is a little more squealy and synthesizer oriented in places but um 
Yeah, maybe they can do it as the bonus track on the Japanese version. Please don't, because uh, then everyone will have it, and I won't be able to uh, be all exclusive. No, please do. Actually, it's interesting you say that about No Wave, um, because one of the tracks in the uh, Zip Bundle that he sent, I believe samples Marky Moon, which Ah, ah. uh, it's a song called Disco, and if it doesn't sample Marky Moon, it samples something that sounds a lot like Marky Moon. And um, he really makes it work. And probably you'd, you'd have a bit of trouble getting clearance for that. Maybe that's why it is. But it's um, it, it's kind of... One of the things I really like that he does, and he talked about this in The Guardian as well, is he likes discordant things. Like when he's mixing, he quite likes train wrecks, you know, because it mm. kind of shakes people out of, of their stupor, I guess. Um, and I think this really comes across uh, on a lot of his best music, like Underground Rock and Roll. You're kind of getting into the sort of groove, and then something else comes along just to shove you out of it a bit. Yeah, it's it's disorienting in in a in a very entertaining way. Uh, let, let's listen to Underground Rock and Roll. Indeed. our show for this time ben what do we have coming up uh on our next episode which uh we've incredibly already got planned um we've got an interview with don't dj who uh we went to go and see in barcelona and he was absolutely brilliant so stay tuned and um check in next time bye